Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, support families, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting in the outdoors, my mission is to help you move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Join us here weekly as we talk about fitness and mindset, accountability, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. Y'all need this episode, but first a quick word about today's sponsor. Did you know ticks can cause life-threatening illness and disease? The great thing here is it can be prevented. No matter if you're hunting or just out on an epic adventure, you're likely to come into contact with ticks or be in tick-infested areas. They can be transmitted off of your body, your gear, or even your pets. I choose to use Sawyer Insect Repellent to keep my family and myself safe. Whether you're using permethrin spray, which can be put directly onto gear and will last up to six washes, or you're using the Picaridin lotion, which is kid and pet safe, by the way, you're giving yourself a huge advantage in tick prevention. Head over to Sawyer.com to see what they've got going on and get your family protected from all things ticks. And now let's get back to the show. Okay, well, we are jumping on another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I feel very out of touch and out of practice at the moment, but I am joined by somebody who's going to be an absolute gem on the show today. Uh, Friend Sarah Wagner, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're excited to talk to you, and I'm really excited to hear about your hunt. But before we get into that... (laughs) Just tell us a little bit of background on you, where you live, what you do, and um, kind of how our paths crossed. Yeah. Um, So I currently live in Tioga, North Dakota, and I am about 45 minutes from Canada and about an hour from Montana. Uh, I've lived in North Dakota almost six years, but I grew up in Southern Illinois, and I grew up very close to St. Louis, Missouri. I could actually see the St. Louis Arch from my house. So I grew up in the city, um, not from a hunting family, and I actually didn't start hunting until I was, oh gosh, 29. So I'm 35 now, so I'm still fairly new to the hunting and outdoor lifestyle, but I love it. And let's see, I met you gosh, has it been three or four years ago through um, your per- through you being a personal trainer? It's been a couple of years since we kind of yeah. met and talked and everything. And so, yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because in even that short window of time going from somebody who didn't you know, grow up hunting, you have quite a few really awesome hunts under your belt. What was like that pinnacle moment for you that, um, you know, with limited experience, you were like, I want to be a hunter. What was that moment for you? Can you tell us that story? Yeah, definitely. Um, It's pretty easy to remember. So I met my current boyfriend. Um, We've been together about eight years and he grew up, um, hunting, you know, he, he was a big whitetail hunter, turkey hunter, waterfowl hunter in Southern Illinois. And, um, you know, I'm a city girl. I 
loved animals, loved the outdoors. I worked as a vet tech, but I never really thought much about hunting. I never had anything against it, but it was not even on my radar. And he and I met and we, you know, started dating. And um, shortly after that, I went on a couple of whitetail deer hunts with him. I never had the tag, but um, I'm like, you know what? I'll go. I'll see what it's all about. And he harvested a deer and I'm like, okay, cool. But it still never really grabbed my attention. You know, I never felt that desire to go out and hunt myself. Well, about a year later, he had the opportunity to move up to North Dakota for work. And during that time, he was exposed to big game Western hunting. And he called me one day. He's like, hey, I'm going to go on this elk hunt. You know, do you want to go with me? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I had absolutely no clue what I was getting myself into. Um, At the time, you know, I didn't do much of the research. He was up in North Dakota. I was still in Illinois. I read whatever he would send me. You know, if he told me to go out and buy a certain pair of boots, I did that and so on and so forth. And I flew out here. We drove to Montana and he planned a DIY hunt on a general archery elk tag in Montana. And I remember hiking in with him and he had this whole thing planned out. He's like, we're going to backpack in. We have camp on our back. We're going to go eight miles back. We're going to get away from everyone, away from roads. And I'm thinking, okay, great. My biggest thing was I want to be by water. And I remember hiking in with him thinking, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? And we passed a couple hunters on the way out. We were probably about four miles in. And at that point, I mean, I'm completely dead, but I'm trying to (laughs) grin and bear it, you know, and stay positive for him and everything. And we're talking to these guys and Nick's kind of telling them where we're going to go camp and we're going to check out that area. And they look at us and they're like, you know, there's a lot of elk between here and the parking lot, right? And I'm thinking, what in the world did I get myself into? Well, we finally make it to where we were going to camp. We completely crash. We're exhausted. You know, both of us are brand new to this. We sleep in and about, we wake up about 10 o'clock the next morning, maybe. We hear a bugle. We throw our clothes on. We go chasing after these bugles. No idea what's going on, right? And I'm turned facing Nick and he's like, don't move there's a note <laughs> behind you and um you know he doesn't even have an arrow notched or anything like that and so I'm basically holding my breath standing still because I'm completely out of my element I don't know what I'm gonna do and he kind of like crouches down to get his arrow knocked and everything and I hear this large animal walking up behind me And it is getting closer and closer and closer. And keep in mind, my back is still turned. So apparently my eyes were like as big as saucers. And I'm there just like trying not to move. And it gets to the point where I can smell this elk walking up behind me. And it finally, Nick said it got about 10 feet from me. 
and it must have gotten close enough, close enough where it like caught wind or something wasn't quite right. Anyway, I'll shorten the story by saying he went about 40 yards, stopped. Nick was able to get a double long shot on him. And we had an elk down within an hour of waking up. So, I mean, complete beginner's luck, right? We don't know, you know, never any type of Western hunting, anything like that. But that was the moment I knew that I wanted to completely live that hunting outdoor lifestyle. The minute, like, I saw that elk on the ground and all those emotions and the whole experience, although short-lived, was absolutely incredible. So that was the moment that basically changed my entire life. So many things about that story right now. I'm like sitting here with like giddy and the biggest smile on my face because I can only imagine for one, how many people are listening in going, total beginner's luck like that would never happen to me you know what I mean um at the (laughs) same time like what an incredible way to solidify what is now like such a big passion for you to have that incredible experience there's people that go out who have been you know who are veteran hunters that haven't had a bull walk up 10 yards behind them or 10 feet behind them when they have no idea exactly what's going on and coming from the midwest going into montana first of all i just have to give you guys so many kudos for being brave enough or dumb enough i don't know sometimes (laughs) sometimes just what you don't know is what gets you there but um exactly that's so awesome so how did it feel coming from, uh, you know, more of a, a flat state, you know, in an area to somewhere with some pretty rugged mountains? So, again, it, you know, I've been out west a few times on family vacations to some of the national parks, and I've always loved the mountains, but... When I visited the national parks, I never truly understood what it was like to love that rugged country until you are completely immersed in it. You know, you are at the mercy of nature. And it was definitely overwhelming because when I did it, you know, on that hunt with Nick in 2014, um, I didn't train for it. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So... The fact that I was able to drag my butt up and down these mountains in Montana, I, it was incredible. It was almost like a spiritual experience, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was really discovering who I was meant to be is what I felt during that first hunt. Oh, that's incredible. I love it. Can you explain a little bit more about why do you think it was? Was it just being in nature? Was it your time of life? Like what really gave you that deep experience? So growing up, um, I was in not the best relationship for nine, almost 10 years. And it was a very controlling type of relationship. So I feel like when I met Nick, he supported me in everything that I wanted to do, whether I want to go back to school, whether I would want to change a job. So I was, at the time, I was really learning about what I wanted and who I 
wanted to be. So I think being free from that toxic relationship, being with someone who truly supported me and finally discovering who I was, because a lot of people will discover who they are maybe when they're in their early 20s. Not everyone, but you know, you go through a bunch of experiences. I didn't go through those when I was in my late teens, early 20s. So I was almost like experiencing the world, if you will, really for the first time as an individual. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And just, you know, um, another part that really drew me to hunting, especially after that hunt, was every time I pulled meat out of the freezer, I knew exactly where it came from. And I was able to reflect back on the whole adventure, the whole moment. You know, I was so thankful for that animal's life. And that is what helped to solidify, you know, the journey that I was going to continue taking. Yeah, the the connection when you know exactly, and you savor that too, right? I think as hunters, and everybody does things a little bit differently, but I know like nothing goes to waste. I mean, we'll take organs, we'll take it all, we'll make bone broth with the bones, and I know so many of us do, and um, then you really do get to have, it, it's like a reward, it's a connection, it's um, like a spiritual, it's a privilege, right? To be able to go and take the life of an animal and to be able to use it to nourish our bodies. So I totally connect with you when you, you know, describe it in that way, like just being able to know where it came from, from relive the experience um, and to really savor it that way. So did you guys end up making it all the way eight miles back or did you camp out? We did. Okay. (laughs) So how was that pack out? I have to know. So it was horrible. Um, we were climbing up the this hill slash part of the mountain, and we called it Hell Hill because <laughs> it was straight up. We both had a load of meat on our on our back, and um, at the time, I didn't have a very um, a very good quality pack. I had something that Nick bought me off a camel fire at the time. So all the weight was in my hips and the meat was sagging. And he has a stone glacier pack that he had at the time. And that was a much better pack to carry the meat in. But we're dragging butt up this hill. And again, we got very lucky on this part too. This guy comes down and he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And Nick's like, oh, we have an elk down. He's like, oh, you do? And Nick turns and showed him the the meat on our backs. And he's like, that's why it was taking you guys so long. I was wondering why you couldn't make it up the hill quicker. (laughs) So he was like, hey, have you guys seen any horses? And we're like, nope, we haven't. He's like, well, if you see a black and white horse, would you tie him up for us? We're like, yep. So we make it to the top of the mountain and we look off into this um, meadow and we're about four miles from the sky by now and we see two horses. One of the horses was still hobbled. So I walk over there, I grab the reins, I get the hobbles off of the one horse and we start taking the horses because I didn't want to tie them up without water. Mm -hmm. Um, They would have been fine, but... 
I'm a huge animal fucker. So I'm like, no, we're going to take them back to the truck. And we know where their truck is at, where there's hay and there's a creek and all that. So we ended up crossing paths with another hunter in that same guy's group. And he was so happy that we found these horses because he had been hiking all the trails trying to find their horses. So we made a trade where we gave them the horses and then the next morning he packed out the rest of the elk. So all Nick and I had to go back in for was camp. So otherwise it would have taken us probably about three days to get that elk out completely with the shape that we were in and how far we were in there. So we got very lucky on all accounts on that hunt. Yes, you did. It is tough to pack out elk. I mean, I mean, even, you know, on short trips, it's heavy. It's a lot of weight to be carried, especially for two people through the mountains Mm -hmm. first time out. So that's a pretty incredible experience. Um, So, now, from that very green experience you had to having done this several more times, how do you train and prepare? How, how do you feel um, now with some fitness under your belt as opposed to when you did then? What are those differences for you? It, you know, honestly, I notice a huge difference mentally, knowing that I've done it before, knowing that I know how to train to prep for the hunt. Um, it makes it mentally easier and I'm able to really push myself further and further mm-hmm. because, um, I mean, yes, I am stronger than what I was in 2014, but I still have fitness goals that I haven't reached yet. But knowing that, um, I'm able to keep pushing my body and my body is capable of doing so much it makes the whole experience easier, more gratifying, and it really gives me at least the confidence to be able to keep going back. Definitely. Well, especially in those really trying or really heavy packouts or dark cold nights or when things don't go right, I think, you know, having that mental fortitude to just know you can rely on yourself and to also have the track record to say, I have gone through this before and I will get through it again. (laughs) And each one of those kind of sucky experiences, I really do think kind of help ingrain more of a confidence in who you are in the outdoors. Do you feel that way? Definitely. Definitely. And yeah, just each hunt that I do, whether it's an elk hunt, a, you know, a backcountry hunt, or whether I'm driving around Eastern Montana antelope hunting, you know, knowing that I've done it all before and whether I've been successful or not, you know, that doesn't necessarily matter. Sure, being successful helps to build your confidence, but knowing that you have still physically been out there, I mean, it is a game changer for me. Do you feel like since you and Nick, when you got together, he hunted, you didn't, but you guys kind of both grew in this together. Do you think that your relationship was different after having some of these experiences with him, like in the backcountry, you know, first elk experience? Do you think hunting has brought you guys closer in a different way? Definitely. Because when you're doing um, a hunt like that, especially a backcountry hunt where 
you know, if something happens to him, he's going to rely on me and vice versa and overcoming all those obstacles because, you know, there's plenty of times where we bicker and we disagree or I'm tired and hungry normally, you know, <laughs> and I'm crabby and he's, you know, wanting to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and being able to overcome all those obstacles and come out stronger and the fact that we've been lucky enough to succeed as many times as we have in our short western hunting um, years it definitely brings us stronger every single year and it builds the confidence again that we can rely on each other and you know we can go out we can do this we can complete it together and it definitely builds a bond that we wouldn't have the exact same type of bond if we didn't hunt together Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it totally does when you can survive through some of the best and most trying you know experiences where you're truly vulnerable it's raw it's real and it's just you two there is a connection that's it's it would be hard I don't even know how you could translate that um in just a normal domestic kind of day-to-day life and of course there are situations people can go through as a couple that you know solidifies that bond you know on the same level if not more but hunting I think really does bring two people whether it's your good hunting buddy your brother your sister whatever it really does kind of unify you in in a very unique way for sure it does yeah and you know like when you're out there, I mean, you probably don't have cell phone service. So, I mean, yeah, that that trust and that bond and de- that depending on each other, it really does create something very special that I'm sure, we, you know, we would bond anyway, but it definitely is an added bonus. That's me, I so feel. cool. So cool. I love it. No matter what kind of adventure you're on, water is always a key element from the backcountry to car camping to an epic road trip. Making sure that you have clean water is always a must. Sawyer Products makes awesome filters for every application. The Sawyer Tap Filter, which is recently introduced, removes biological contaminants, guaranteeing immediate clean drinking water when you need it the most. Head over to Sawyer.com to see what they have for water filtration for your next adventure. So tell me about Arizona. So you are, maybe the luck continues. Maybe somebody (laughs) needs to hang out with Sarah a little bit more. (laughs) I need to play the lottery. I know. I think I've said that to you at one point. I was like, dude, Mm -hmm. go play the lottery. This is too good to be true. But uh, so you drew a pretty incredible Arizona tag. And the story behind that hunt is pretty phenomenal. So would you walk us through that whole process? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I apply um, pretty much in any state that I am able to apply in. So any state that is within 24 hours of driving. um, I apply in Alaska too, but I haven't been lucky enough there. But Arizona has been a state that, for whatever reason, has been very, very kind to me. 
Um, I have drawn a archery elk tag there twice. And then this past year, I was lucky enough to draw um, a 12B West tag, and it was the late rifle hunt. So that is basically one of the Arizona strip units. Um, it normally takes about 21 points to draw the late rifle. And I think I drew it, gosh, with five or six points. I think I might have been the only random draw in that unit. So that was um, pretty crazy. I remember when I checked the draw results, we were um, getting ready to go out on Lake Sakakalia in July up here in North Dakota. And Nick is like, hey, I got an email saying that I drew. And, or I'm sorry, that the draw results were out. I'm like, okay, well, I'll check mine too. And I did, and before it told me what I drew, it said, looks like you're going hunting. <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was one of those, you know, experiences and moments that you have to, like, keep, you have to have someone else look at it yeah. because you don't think that it's real. So that was that. Um, and then, of course, you know, the planning starts. So with a unit like that, um, a lot of the deer, it, it's their winter range. So they come off of the Kaibab, off of the Ponsagant, and they winter range there. Well, that area is known for, you could get a 200-inch mule deer buck. Some people have gotten a 240-inch buck. I mean, wow. They're not around every tree or every corner, but the possibility to have that type of a deer and that type of a hunt is there. So the biggest question that I had and that Nick had was, are we going to go guided? So all of our hunting that we've done so far, we've never gone guided. And there's nothing against going guided, but we've always done it ourselves. And he's like, you know what? It's up to you. If it was me, I would probably go guided because I wanted, I have a number in mind. I didn't necessarily have, you know, a number, a score of a deer in mind. And there's something really special with all of the hunts that Nick and I have done, I feel, because it's been us two. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to continue that tradition, and that's what I decided, not to go guided, even though going guided would have increased our, you know, chance at getting a monster buck yeah. significantly. So we end up prepping for it, and... Uh, you know, we do a, a bunch of uh, phone calls to people who have drawn the tag before. We've, um, you know, just talked to other hunters. We've done a lot of e-scouting, different things like that. Because it took about, it was about a 20-hour drive, 21-hour drive to get from where we're at in North Dakota to the unit. So, and a lot of people who draw that tag... Even if they don't go guided, they have like 
gosh, I don't know, seven, eight other people, 10 other people with them, just glassing the area, trying to find one of the very few monster bucks. Mm -hmm. So there may only be 70 tags, but you could have 200 people in the unit hunting, 300 people in the unit hunting. So Nick's cousin, Jay, he flew from St. Louis, Missouri, and flew to Las Vegas, rented a car, and drove to Arizona, and met us to help with this hunt. So that was pretty awesome to be able to share that with another person who you care about and, you know, have that camaraderie with us. So it... um there were a lot of people there, let me tell you. It was almost intimidating and a very, very different way than what we're used to hunting. Mm-hmm. So even if we don't go into the back country and camp, we're not used to hunting around that many people. And the style of hunting is very different because the land there is covered in sagebrush like it's wide open there are canyons but it's not very feasible to get out and start hiking mm-hmm. which is what we normally do we'll hike ridge lines we'll hike across canyons and we're normally not in the vehicle driving around glassing so it took us a couple of days to really um get used to covering ground in a vehicle. You get out, you hike, you get to a vantage point, you glass, and then you get back in the vehicle and you drive down the road. So um, the very first day, we were on this um, little ledge on the edge of some private land and public land. And the very very first deer we saw was probably close to 200 inches. He was a really pretty wide four by four buck. But Nick and I haven't seen enough bucks that large to really be able to judge it from glassing. Mm -hmm. And it was day one, the sun was barely up and um, we ended up passing on that buck. Well, the next day, his cousin came in, and we're driving around, we're glassing, we're very lucky to see deer every single day. Well, day three, near the end of the day, um, Nick calls me over to where he was glassing in this canyon, and he's like, hey, I have a pretty good buck here. So we're looking at it through our scope, and I'm like, oh... He's really cool. Well, he turned his head and like looked basically straight on at us. He was probably about 400 yards and he was very, very tall, but really narrow, like really, really narrow. But in my gut, Courtney, I knew that that was the deer I wanted. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can't describe it. Yeah. Like I had an instant connection with him even though he wasn't one of the big you know typical four by four really wide mule deer bucks I knew it was him 
I 110% knew that that was the deer that I wanted. And I'm like, Nick, I'm gonna shoot him. He's like, Sarah, it's day three. We have like seven more days. I really think you should pass. I'm like, man, I really wanna shoot him. He's like, I think you should wait. So I passed on him. And I remember this almost like sinking feeling in my stomach. Like, why did I pass on him? Yeah. I know that's my deer. But I did. And I think Nick was a little bit relieved because I was ready to get down. I was ready to get prone and shoot him right across the canyon. And he, uh, I think Nick was starting to get a little worried I was going <laughs> to shoot him right in there. <laughs> He's like, you know, we need to hold out. We need to hold out. So um, a bunch of days go by. We see a bunch of different deer. Um, we ended up meeting some really awesome people down there. And uh, this one guy, he was helping another group, like a family friend, Hunt. And we stopped and we were talking to him. He's like, yeah, we have about 10 or 11 people out here all throughout the unit, you know, glassing for deer. And Nick's like, well, you know, any recommendations or anything? And the guy kind of looks at me and he's like, are you the tag holder? I said, yep. And he's like, well, what, like, what's your cutoff? What score do you want to cut off at? You know, like, what is the lowest mm -hmm. score you'll take? I'm like, you know, I really don't know. And I said, I'll know him when I see him. And all of that kind of rang true throughout the entire hunt because we never could make any connection with any of the other deer. We saw other good deer, but nothing, nothing quite panned out. And um, so, of course, in the style how I normally hunt, I wait till not the very last day, but the very last like three or four hours of the season <laughs> to finally make my shots. And I don't know why I, I always tend to do that. And I always have to like, every morning I have to do like a positive self-talk because I'll tell you what, when you're out there day after day, after day hunting and nothing is coming together, it can be really, you know, just depressing and, upsetting and yeah. you know um, and especially like I saw that deer and I'm like I that was my deer so the entire time I'm thinking did I make a mistake because I felt that connection I wanted that deer what did I do well it was the evening before the very last day and the guy who we had previously met ended up um, coming and hunting with us for fun. He didn't have a tag. He just loves to help people hunt and hang out and, you know, see people get big deer. So he and his wife came. It was a few days after Thanksgiving, and um, we were in this one canyon, and they're like, hey, there are these deer here. We need to get running down here and get good glass on them. Well, sure enough, there were three or four other bucks in there, a handful of does, and there's that same deer 
that we saw on day three. The exact same deer. I was like, oh my gosh, this has to be a sign, you know, it's meant to be. And I'm in prone position. Nick is above me, you know, spying and helping me range. And he kept pushing this one doe around. And it was really cool to see all the running activity. But I'm thinking, man, you just have to hold still long enough for me to get a shot. Well, he kept going up the other side of the canyon. And by the time he stopped, he was about 500 yards. And um, he was quartering away. And there was a little bit of a wind. And I'm like, you know what? I do not feel comfortable taking that shot, which was really hard because when you have the animal you want in your sight, Mm -hmm. in your scope, however you're hunting, you really want to make it happen. But I was very happy that I decided not to shoot him then because I wasn't prepared to shoot that far with that amount of wind and with the fading light as well, because it was in the evening. Yeah. So the sun was starting to set. So I thought for sure I lost them. Like, man, this is not, this is not good. Not good at all. So we wake up the next morning. We are chasing after this other buck. And he was probably about like a 170 buck is what we thought and he was pushing his nose around and of course I couldn't get a good shot on him either so we end up chasing him through a canyon and we never could make it happen so there's about four hours or so five hours left in the entire season and I'm like man you know I'm probably going to go home empty-handed but that's okay, but I'm still gonna hunt till the very last minute, very last second. And about 45 minutes after we stopped hunting that deer, we saw my deer again for the (laughs) third day. (laughs) Wow. I mean, he was with a, a bunch of does and a couple other bucks, and I'm thinking, holy crap, how is this going to happen? Well, It was a cluster, let me tell you. So we see him, we get about 80 yards from him. And the um, bipod I have, you know, you either have to be sitting or prone. Well, the angle that he was at, I couldn't even sit down to get a shot at him. So long story short, I fired at him two separate times, completely missed him. So I am completely, I'm shaking. I'm starting to doubt myself. I'm frustrated. All those emotions that you feel when you've made a mistake. I'm happy that it was a clean miss, but I'm starting to feel really, really worried. So Nick and I just happen to be walking this edge of the canyon and we see four does go running about 200 yards on the other side of the canyon and that buck walks out again and I'm like Nick it's him 
and Nick turns and puts his binoculars on him. And I drop to the ground. I'm sitting. I get my crosshairs on him and one shot. And he didn't run off. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I get closer to the edge. I get my binos up. I see him laying there. And I will tell you what, I have never cried in relief so hard after (laughs) all those emotions and seeing him there and hunting till the last few hours. And of course, having seen him three different days in a row, knowing that that was my deer and all the stress and just, you know, keep pushing through day after day and, you know, not being able to make all these different connections happen on all these different deer. And then thinking in the back of my mind, you know, did I make a mistake by passing on that deer on day three? Because literally he was all I could think about. I kept thinking I should have shot him. And I think every day I told Nick, like, you know what? I should have shot that deer. He's like, Sarah, we have five more days. It's fine. Next day, I'm like, I should have shot that deer. (laughs) Sarah, you're never going to let me, you know, like live that down. And um, yeah, sure enough, one shot, he was down and didn't even hardly move from where he was. So it couldn't have happened more dramatically, which is how a lot of things happen with me. So there's a, a lot of emotions and everything. And when I got to put my hands on that deer, I was, I just felt so grateful like I do with every harvest. But that deer was something something special do you feel like there was a like a defining lesson that you learned in that patience game that you played from the first time that you chose not to shoot and just knowing having that just intrinsic feeling that that is the buck that you were meant to connect with do you feel like you learned something in wading through that process I do I feel like that you know I need to listen to my gut, but I wouldn't have learned and had the experiences that I did for the next seven days if I would have shot him on day three. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of torn, you know, because that was my buck. He was the one that I wanted, and I could have saved myself a lot of heartache, but. The incredible experience of that hunt, and, you know, so much of it is trying to come home with a harvest, mm-hmm. but I learned so much more just being out there in the wild, in, you know, the wilderness and being with people who you love and care about. And it definitely pushed, made me, you know, push my mental toughness even further even though it wasn't a physically demanding hunt it was a mentally demanding hunt Mm -hmm. so sometimes those are the hardest the ones where you're not I mean it's easy to get used to the grind of pushing yourself physically sometimes that is and most of the time I'd actually say pushing yourself physically is way easier than pushing yourself mentally. It's so much more uncomfortable to be 
out of sorts in your mind than it is, you know, the physical part, you know, will subside, you know, will get better. The soreness will, you know, smooth over at some point, but you can just play and just snowball such a like catastrophe from these, like <laughs> the, the, the part that really pushes you mentally. So that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. That's incredible. I love it. I'm definitely going to share photos too. So people can see this buck. You described him as being super narrow, but really tall. And he was a very unique looking buck. He's gorgeous. Congratulations on that for sure. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. I mean, he's not, you know, I wanted something with character um and i feel like he he definitely had it um at the very tip so from tip to tip he was only about six inches apart wow so yeah super super narrow. Awesome. Um, the guy who we were with uh scored him he scored a ton of deers and the deer scored 183 which again a number to me doesn't really mean much um but i feel so blessed to be able to have brought that deer home after 10 days of you know grinding trying to get him or get another deer down so so a question that i have for you and i know it's an area that can be pretty intimidating for a lot of hunters um is is moving your um, or expanding your horizons to hunt different states and you know some and everybody does it differently I think from state to state you know some are lottery only some are just you know point system draws some is a combination of over-the-counter and draws but um, do you have any tips for navigating out-of-state draws do you use any kind of service or have any insight that you can give our listeners yeah so um Nick has a subscription through Hunt and Soul, and that offers um, a lot of good basic ideas for each state. So that is a good idea that if you are wanting to, you know, draw in Colorado, which is a preference point state, um, compared to New Mexico, which is a completely random state. Um, it really helps to guide you on what you need to do and what you're looking at. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Huntful is a big um, part of how we get kind of a basis on where we want to go, how we need to apply for each state. And then we go even more deeper into... Um, you know, going to different forums. Nick is definitely the forum guy. You know, he is on all different forums, you know, talking to people, reading about different jobs and different things like that. Um, but a big thing too is if you're unsure, call that state's Game and Fish. Mm-hmm. And they will definitely help you and get you started down the right path to figure out the best way to apply for that state. And things that you have to consider, too, is a lot of these states, and I I don't know how Oregon is, but um, if there's a point creep. So, like, each, you know, there's certain units, let's say, in Colorado that will take 20-plus points to draw. Well, if you only get one point a year... And each year, it takes more and more points mm-hmm. to draw. Realistically, 
you may not live long enough to draw right. that unit. Yeah, that's pretty. That's that's becoming more common. I feel like mm-hmm. here in Oregon as well. Is it? Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer because I, you know, I think that there's, there are good things about having the draw, but it's difficult to, to see it change so much. Actually, our rigs have changed a ton and moving forward into 21's hunting season uh, with a lot of things going to draw that used to be general season over the counter. So it's going to be pretty interesting how things unravel here. <laughs> but Oregon in general has its head kind of up its ass, so I'm not totally surprised. <laughs> but... Awesome. Well, that's good information to have. I will definitely link to Hunt and Fool in the show notes, um, as well as on social media, so people can get a feel for what that is. And I know we've had Jess Byers on the show before talking about Hunt and Fool and some of the services they provide. Um, So it'd be interesting for people to check that out. It's just nice to know that you can get some information. It can be intimidating to try to figure that out on your own. And to some people I know legitimately feel like it's just out of the question for them to go out of state to hunt. So this is really good for giving those options. And another thing too, you know, with calling uh, the Department of Fish and Game, that can be great and I highly recommend it. There's some great biologists and some good resources to be had from that. I do find um, sometimes those biologists will be giving the same exact information (laughs) to people. So it's almost like a scripted, very general thing. So if you can get to a more um, niche down community like Hunt and Fool or Go Hunt or something like that, they'll probably maybe give you a little bit more um, granular information so you can make a better decision but very true yes I I have heard the scripted um, <laughs> advice before which I get it because how many people are oh, calling sure. them each day sure so uh, well, and they want to yeah. they want to sell tags. They want to increase the revenue of their department, and and I get that, you know, for sure. Um, and and a lot of time they do have the success of hunters in mind, trying to put point them in the right direction, statistically based on what the years previous have showed. But yes. but yes, I think you can get some uh, deeper information, and like you know, with Huntful, you can call other people that have had the tag, and they'll put you in the right you know groups and connect you to the appropriate people to really make the most use of that tag, you know, and that opportunity. So that is uh, worth checking out for sure. Are you ready for some quick draw questions? Oh, man. (laughs) Yes, I will. (laughs) I'm ready. They're not too crazy. You won't have to phone a friend, I promise. Okay. Okay. All All right. So we'll just do quick answers. Number one, your biggest pet peeve. Oh, that is when women tear down other women or when people chew their food very loudly. Amen, sister. It's a tie. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, if you were stranded on an island, what is the one thing you'd want to have? Oh, stranded on an island. One thing I would want to have, probably water purification, because I am so worried about getting giardia or some type of intestinal problem and then having issues that way so definitely water purification and if it's anything like uh 20 has been or 20 was there'd be no toilet paper so you'd be totally screwed (laughs) number three most valuable lesson you've learned as a woman (sighs) that you uh, you can definitely you know you can do hard things you can um you can do whatever you put your mind to I didn't believe that about myself for 
over half my life and I regret that. And when I finally learned that being female, I was like, you know what? This is, I can do hard stuff. I don't have to wait around for someone else to do it for me. I can do it. Love, love, love that. Awesome. I'm so glad you've had that growth and experience. That is, that's awesome. Number four. Oh, this one's a hard one. If you could only hunt with one weapon for the rest of your life, what would it be? Archery. Bow and arrow. Hell yeah. 100%. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. And number five, last one. What is your number one bucket list item? Oh, bucket list item. Honestly, I want to hunt an Alaskan brown bear. Damn, girl. I have a thing for predators. I don't know what it is. Um, I love elk hunting. That is probably my favorite type of hunting. But I have this passion and drive. And I want to hunt predators so bad. But an Alaskan coastal brown bear is probably number one on my bucket list that's badass you are gonna do it i have no doubt and it'll be some crazy dramatic epic story and i can't wait to hear it (laughs) awesome well sarah thank you so much for coming on the show if people want to connect reach out and just get to know you more where can they find you um on instagram i am bullets and bows sarah and then my friend jamie and i have our own kind of shared Instagram page uh, where we just try, we share our stories about hunting and outdoors and try to encourage other women to do the same. And that is Bullets in Bows. And um, same for Facebook, for Bullets and Bows, we have a Facebook page there. And then I am on Facebook, Sarah Wagner. And we also have a YouTube channel, Bullets and Bows as well where it's we our gag reels i feel are hilarious on it but you might you know it's a little different when you're not there but um it's us being real talking about what we've experienced in hunting or the outdoors and we just want to have it be another platform for women to connect on because whenever i started hunting it was very intimidating. I didn't know any other women who hunted. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what was out there. So I just want it to be another place where you can see some real women just hanging out, doing real stuff. Awesome. Well, I have so much appreciation for what you do, the community that you build, how you give back and your authenticity. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm just sharing your stories. I can only hope to be as cool as you one day, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend, and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.